0: beloved ones last week we saw together how the apostle paul took us to the very heart of what we should desire and seek as humans we looked at his prayer for the ephesians his prayer that they and that we also might come to know the one true god through christ our king so that as we know god more through him we become more united to the power of his resurrection And that power will lift us up to walk in newness of life. Today, the passage before us here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, Paul is going to continue that train of thought as he shows us who we once were apart from the grace of God. And now who we are as those who are united to Jesus, those who have received his resurrection power and so with that let's give our attention to the word of god here in ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 10 and you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so far the reading of god's word join me now as we uh, pray together out loud this prayer of illumination that's in our bulletin as we pray to the father saying blessed lord who has caused holy scripture to be written for our learning Grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, here in this passage, loved ones, we see that despite the miserable state in which we find ourselves in our sinful nature. God's wonderful grace in Christ has made walking miracles out of we who were the walking dead. And in that statement, we'll find our three points today. First, the walking dead. Second, the wonderful grace of God. And third, walking miracles. First, the walking dead. In these first opening three verses, the Apostle Paul, he makes some shocking and even offensive statements about humanity. He claims that from birth, we were the walking dead, deceived by the devil, the prince of the power of the air, sons of disobedience, desiring all kinds of evil, and headed towards destruction, children of wrath, destined for that place. There's absolutely no flattery here, There's no sugarcoating around the truth that he's presenting. Paul is giving us a full and hard truth about humanity, about us, and we need to hear it. But why? Why do we need to hear this? I know that many of you think and assume that you've heard this enough. And maybe you're saying to yourself, Pastor, please, please, don't tell me how wretched and sinful I am. I know it already. Well, hear me out. Paul's ultimate objective here is not to bring you down emotionally, not to depress you. No, his goal is not so that you end up at the end of this sulking and wallowing in your sin, saying, ah, woe is me, a sinner. No, that's not the objective. Rather, he wants to bring us low for this purpose, so that we might better appreciate God's grace towards us in lifting us up with Christ in him. He's giving us perspective on the grace of God. And that's why we need to see this first point. You can only see, for example, the brilliance of the light of the stars, which are currently above us right now. You can only see them in the context of the blackness of night, in the darkness of night. And so God's grace shines all the more brightly when we understand and see it in the context of the darkness of our sinful state you can think about it also in this way in those tv tele- television programs of home re- renovations right like the fixer upper show the first thing they do what do they do in the beginning of those shows they show you a vivid detail about how bad that house was in its original state when they first came upon it things are kind of falling apart it's all dilapidated it has maybe it's infested with roaches and, and rodents etc it needs a lot of work and then as the show progresses they explain what their plans are to renovate it and lastly they have the big reveal after all the commercials right the big reveal of the house all fixed up renewed restored beautified right now what if imagine that in those shows what if they only did the final reveal only the final reveal with no pictures of the mess that it started off as. How would that work for the ratings? Would people like to watch those shows? No, it wouldn't have the same wow factor, right? It wouldn't impress the audience because they'd have no point of reference to appreciate all of the fixes, all of the renovation that was done to bring it to where it was in the final reveal. And you see, that's what Paul is doing here in this passage. He's showing us the before and after pictures of us, before what we were like Before God's grace reached us, after what we are now as united to Christ by faith. You you see, he wants us to see with vivid detail just how bad off we were so that we'll be more impressed by the wonderful grace of God towards us in Christ. He's trying to increase for us the wow factor of God's grace so that we leave today more grateful for what God has done, for his amazing grace Towards us, So what exactly has Paul described for us here? What is the image that he gives us of us before God's grace reached us? What does he say? Well, first he says that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Now, what does that mean? It's interesting because here he says we're dead and yet we're walking. We're dead and yet following the ways of the world and the devil. Dead and yet still living in the passions of our flesh. Dead and yet still desiring all kinds of things. So clearly by dead, he doesn't mean that we have no life whatsoever. That's not what he's referring to. It must mean something else. And it means this, that all humans are born spiritually dead to God. Lifeless with respect to God and his ways. With no inclination to live for him and for his glory. Apart from God's quickening and enlivening grace, we are like rocks towards God. Rocks, totally unresponsive to his love and unwilling to obey his commands. This is what Paul describes for us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, where he says that the natural person, apart from God's grace, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not even able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What do we learn from that? We learn that apart from new birth by the Spirit of God, apart from regeneration, people will never accept the things of God. They see the gospel, they hear it, they hear it as foolishness. And they cannot understand or delight in God's word. You see that apart from God's grace reaching us, we were the walking dead. There's actually a popular television show called The Walking Dead, and it's all about a zombie apocalypse. And in the beginning, there is this uh, patient zero that got infected, and it spread to all of the rest of humanity. And in the show, the majority of the people now on earth, they've all turned into zombies they become depraved in their nature and their thinking Uh, they haven't stopped breathing or walking they're still walking and breathing and moving about but instead immediately after they turned they turned against their loved ones they turned against all that they used to love and now only desire what is evil and wicked it is a dramatic but a fitting metaphor of what paul is describing here that according to the Bible, who was patient zero? Adam. Adam in the beginning, when he willfully disobeyed God, he died spiritually. And because of his disobedience, because he represented us, his guilt of his sinful act has been accredited to us because he represented us there in the garden. And now, by birth, by nature, we have a fallen sinful nature and we are born spiritually dead that spiritual death has spread to all of humanity and so we are now as we sang earlier in psalm 51 conceived and born in sin because of adam's disobedience patient zero adam we are now all the walking dead apart from the grace of god in the 4th century Augustine, he wrote this, he said, from Adam's bad use of free will, there originated the whole train of evil such that the entire human race is depraved as from a corrupt root. You see, Paul, he has told the Ephesians in this letter that they were born into this mess. You all are the walking dead. But it's important to note that Paul, he switches from the second person plural, you all, in verses 1 to 2, to the first person plural in verse 3, saying, we, we. And this is important because as a religious Jew by birth and by his upbringing, Paul is saying that these, everyone who's a so-called good religious person is not in a different category. It doesn't matter if you were born into the covenant community, the church, or not. This description applies to each and every human being born. And this is why Paul concludes in Romans chapter 3, saying, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. I want you to see this. There is nothing inherent in you that makes you better than the worst person walking on the face of the earth today. That's a radical claim. By nature, Paul is saying that we are all cut from the same cloth. In our house, uh, we watch some TV shows that document criminal minds the worst criminals in human history. And when we watch those shows, you're amazed at how wicked these people can be. But what Paul is saying is that same wickedness that you see in them is what you have in your own heart that you were born with. We need to remember that the only thing that keeps us from being so wicked is the mercy and grace of God holding us back and restraining us from evil, or if we belong to Jesus, renewing us and restoring us. That's the only thing that separates us, the grace of God. At this point, you might object and say, well, that, that, that's not how I see people around me. I see good in them. Well, here's the thing. People still do what we call works of civic good in society. They still do what might be morally good. But God does not only look at the work itself, but rather he looks at the heart that did it. God evaluates all our actions not based on just the product, the end result, but from the very beginning of its conception in our thoughts, our intentions and motives. And so a truly good deed is one that is done according to God's commands in faith and for his glory with pure motives and intentions throughout the whole process. And so while many people still do morally good things in society, they are not ultimately good deeds before God because they are not done to and for his glory. And that's why in Isaiah 64, verse 6, even, God says, even our best deeds are like filthy rags before his sight. Because even the best actions of humans are still poisoned with selfish motives and desires for human approval. And without a love for God and for his glory. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you see yourself so much or how others might evaluate you. It matters what God, our creator, sees and evaluates. And he sees our open hearts before him. And his appraisal of us, as we see here, it is a rock-bottom appraisal of humanity. Now, maybe you're on the opposite side. Maybe you're saying... I know that humans are evil because I see it in my own heart, in my failures each day. Well, brace yourself for this. God's word here in this passage, he's telling us this. You are actually more sinful and flawed than you even think you are right now. Only God knows how deeply messed up we all are. Wow, Pastor Taylor, super encouraging message today, right? I I know that you might be thinking that, but remember what Paul's objective is here, which is my objective. It's not to depress you, but rather to impress you with God's grace. And so just wait, it gets better. These first three verses are about who we were apart from God's grace. It's giving us the proper perspective to now gaze upon his wonderful grace in the gospel. And so that's our second point, the wonderful grace of God. You see, after presenting this dark, this dismal image of humanity, Paul shifts to praise God's wonderful grace by saying in verse 4, but God, but God. This is so important because, as we've already seen, if God himself does not intervene to save, there is no hope for salvation in us, no hope of personal renovation. We're all too far gone, too lost, too blind, too dead in our sins. But God decided to save us, still. Commenting on this passage, John Bloom, he writes this, But God, these two words are overflowing with gospel. For sinners like you and me, who were lost and completely unable to save ourselves from our dead-set rebellion against God, there may, be, there may not be two more hopeful words that we could utter, but these two words, but God they tell us that we have been saved only by God's grace. You see, Paul, he, he doesn't say here that the world is, is only full of wretched sinners, but that, or he doesn't say, sorry, that, that uh, the world is full of sinners, but that God, in the midst of the sinners, found some decent people to save and work with. That's not what he says. He says rather that the world is only full of wretched sinners, but that didn't stop God From choosing to save and redeem some. Another author, J.D. Greer, says the scandal of the gospel is not that Jesus loves bad people along with the good people. The scandal of the gospel is that God only loves bad people because that's the only kind of people on earth. That's the scandal of the gospel. So the earth is full of bad people, but God still loved us. He took the initiative and moved towards us in love. And what does Paul say that God has done for us in love, in his rich mercy? Well, it's kind of tricky in the text itself because Paul separates the subject, who is God, from the verb, that action, with some important qualifiers in between saying that God did it according to his rich mercy, motivated by love, despite the fact that we are dead in our sins. And then finally, the verb comes, the main action, in verses 5 through 6, where Paul says, this is what God has done. But God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He made us alive together with him. And making alive is the only remedy for someone who is already dead. You can't give someone who has died medicine with hopes of fixing their state. Rehabilitation won't work. A self-help book is just not going to help someone who has died. Dead people don't just need motivation. They need regeneration. This work of the Holy Spirit is referred to in the New Testament in a variety of ways to be born again by the Spirit, quickened by the Spirit, or spiritually resurrected to newness of life. This is what God has done to fix our miserable state. He has made us alive with Christ. But notice here how Paul, he's putting emphasis on the the fact that this was all done in and through Jesus Christ, God's saving grace. It's not arbitrary, it's not random, it's not detached. It's personal, and it always comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see that in verses 4 through 6, this focus on the believer's union with Christ. In the original Greek, Paul wrote these three verbs here with the prefix. In the Greek, it's soon, which means together with. So we can translate this passage, co-made alive, co-raised, or co-seated with the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What does this mean? That we were raised together with Christ. Well, it means that the Holy Spirit brings each of the elect into a mysterious union with Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, and even ascension to receive from him all the benefits, all that he won and achieved through those events and actions of obedience in his life. The closest analogy that I can think of that relates to this is marriage. So... Uh, So, too, we find that, you know, in the sense that when my wife and I became one flesh in our marriage, when when we vowed our love to each other, what's mine became hers, and what's hers then became mine. And so, too, by the divine operation of the Spirit uniting us to Jesus, now all that he did becomes ours. And all of our sin was accredited to him, and he suffered for that on the cross. So much so that in some mysterious way, if you believe in Jesus, that means that you have been raised with him spiritually. So even though you're bodily present here, in a mysterious way, you are currently raised and seated with Christ in deep heaven, where he rules and reigns over all things. And the grace of God has come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, uniting us to him forevermore. Paul makes it very clear in verse 8 that by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. Now, loved ones, this is amazing grace. This is wonderful grace. You see, we often hear that grace is unmerited favor, and that's true. We have not merited this favor. We have not done anything to achieve or win this favor. But it is better to say that grace is demerited favor, Because not only have we not earned it, but we've actually earned the very opposite of this favor. By our rebellion against God, our refusal to submit to His ways, we have earned and merited His wrath and His judgment. That is what we deserve. And so His grace is demerited favor towards us. What is so amazing, wonderful, and shocking here is that God gives this gift of faith and renovation to us As Paul says, while we were dead in our sins, while we were still enemies, God did this. What did you bring to the table to make this happen? What was your contribution? Your sin. Only your sin. That's all you brought to the table. You see how humbling this is? As Paul says in verse 9, this is not a result of work so that no one may boast. You see, Paul's view of salvation leaves absolutely no zero, zero room here. No wiggle room at all to boast before men or before God. You cannot say before God or other people that you did anything to make yourself co-alive with Jesus. You were dead. You were completely unable to do it. And since we were dead in our sins, we had to be made alive first in order to believe. And so we believe that regeneration precedes faith, which is part of, of the gift of God. He regenerates us and gives us that faith. You see, I want to ask you this question. Is the Apostle Paul's view of salvation here your view of salvation? Or are you still trying to hold on to a tiny sliver with a piece of the pie yourself, saying, yeah, but I chose to believe in him? Maybe that's what you're saying. Well, What Paul says here, let me be clear, it does not allow for it. Because before you chose to believe, the Spirit made you alive with Jesus and so gave you the desire to believe. And even your initial decision in your Christian life to follow Jesus, that was activated by the Holy Spirit in your heart in the moment of regeneration. So Augustine, again, in the 4th century, he says, Faith, both in its beginning and its completeness, is a gift of God. And let absolutely no one who does not want to be opposed to the perfectly clear sacred writings deny that this gift is given to some and not to others. Love one, it is perfectly clear in God's word that this is a gift of grace. Now why would God do this for sinners? Well, Paul tells us in verse 7. Verse 7, why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, God, in eternity past, he was eternally gracious and kind. It is who he is. But now, because of our sinful state, our sinful state provided the occasion, the historical occasion, for God to display his grace in full, to pour it out, to reveal it, to show it. And so now, in this life, in the coming ages, the elect in Christ will be the perpetual Evidence of God's wonderful grace on display. And perhaps when we get there, we will see others and say, no way, no way. God saved that guy? I knew him from back in the day. He was, he was a jerk, right? But now look at him. He looks just like Jesus. He's radiant in the beauty of righteousness. Isn't this amazing what God's grace has done to save sinners like him and like me? God's wonderful grace, which has made us, loved ones, walking miracles, which is our third point. We saw already how Paul's view of humanity, it's dark, it's dismal, it's grim, but we see here in the last part of this passage that his view of us in Christ is dazzling and glorious. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, in them. You see here the word for workmanship, it could be translated as creation or masterpiece, masterpiece. God is taking us from mess to masterpiece by his grace. If you believe in Jesus, you are part of God's greatest masterpiece. Paul says, You have been created in Christ Jesus, that is, brought into existence as part of the miracle of His new creation. He is making all things new, and He begins with the hearts of believers. So, Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he's right when he says here that Paul is speaking about the new creation. He says, The new man is a new creature, and God is its creator. It is a new birth, and we are born of His will. At this point, I want to pause and clarify something that I think is very important. Our view of total depravity no longer fully applies to those who are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Yes, it's true, we still sin, but we are no longer dead in our sins. Paul says we once were dead in our sins. We were co-made alive in Jesus. That is our new identity. Yes, we still disobey on occasion, but we are no longer by nature children of wrath. We are now adopted as children of God. And yes, we still fight our bad desires, but we have, by the grace of God, new desires that are brewing and the Spirit is stirring up in our hearts to obey Him and love Him and our neighbors all the more. And so you see, little by little, the Spirit of God is inclining our hearts more and more towards Him, To love him, to pursue his ways. That's why Paul ends this passage saying that we were created, recreated in Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So once we were the walking dead, but now in Jesus we are walking miracles of his grace. And in fact, the verb here in this passage for walking, it forms an inclusio, bookends of the passage in verse 2 and then again in verse 10. And so he's showing us that now quickened and filled by the Spirit of God, we're able to do good works. We are able to do good works to the glory of God. He didn't save us so that we'd stay stagnant in our sin, wallowing therein. No, he wants us to begin to walk in step with the Spirit. He wants us to follow his word, not the world. He wants us to follow the prince of peace, not the prince of the power of the air. He wants us to live according to our renewed nature in Jesus. You see, if you primarily see yourself when you evaluate yourself as described in verses one through three, you're missing the point. God wants you to see yourself as you are in Jesus, as the masterpiece of his grace. He wants you to walk in the confidence of that new identity that you have in him, humbled but yet confident in the grace of God. The gospel, loved ones, it's amazing because at once it is the most a humbling assessment of humanity. We are far worse than we can even imagine. And yet, but God. So the gospel is most also uplifting declaration that despite our sin, God has loved us and accepted us in Jesus Christ for far more than we can even begin to fathom. We are worse than we can even think, but God has loved us still far more than we can begin to fathom in Jesus Christ. So we conclude that apart from Jesus, we were the walking dead, but now in Jesus we are walking miracles of God's wonderful grace. This is good news. It humbles us so that we have nothing to boast in, but it also uplifts us, not only just in our spirits, but mysteriously lifts us up into into deep heaven where Jesus is ruling and reigning with Christ. This good news should change the way we walk. That's what Paul's point is. Change the way we live, not as we formerly used to live, but now as those who are co-raised, co-seated with Christ. So let it be the case. Amen. Thank you, Father God, for your amazing grace that you have shown to us not only have you displayed it but you have poured it out upon us through christ and by your spirit in our hearts making us alive together with him raising us up together with him and seating us together with him what wonderful grace you have made us we who were the walking dead now walking miracles of your grace part of the new creation and you've prepared for us good works that we should walk in them. Lord, guide us and lead us to walk fresh and new and step with the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.